Again, welcome. We're very thrilled that you're here with us, and, and this is just another great day that God's given to us, and, I, and I'm really excited. I, I do want to thank everybody who came and worked so hard in the missions conference. Just before we kind of get into our thing today, um, if, if you were here with us, I, I tried to, you know, just thank everybody quickly on Wednesday evening, but a lot of people worked very hard to help us pull that off, and so just really, you know, thank all of you who sacrificed your time and coming and being a part of that, and if for some reason you, you just weren't able to make it, um, do know that on our website those messages are available, and even though you missed the event, uh, really the, the word that was preached at that time was powerful, it was challenging, it was encouraging. Uh, please go to the website and check that out. Um, and the only thing that Ryan was talking about, the faith promise giving commitments, and so many people sacrifice and give, and that gives us the opportunity to support missionaries all over the world, and that's exciting. Um, l- let me just encourage you, too, that when you fill those out, some people have been giving faithfully year after year, and maybe you didn't fill out a card because you're thinking, well, I'm just going to keep giving what I always have. But we need all the cards for everybody. Even if you normally give and just didn't fill one out because you're going to continue to do what you've always done, please just let us know so that we can help budget with those things. And, and so what we're doing, we're coming off this missions conference, and we've got a new series for the next four weeks, and, and the, it's on the screen for you. It's the millennium. It's about the millennium, Christ's kingdom on earth. And that's good news, right? I mean, there's coming that day that the Lord's coming, and that's, that's the day that so many of us are looking forward to uh, when he does that. This will be what we'll, we'll cover for the next four weeks, this week and the next three afterwards. Um, the word millennium, if you don't know, it's a Latin root word, and basically mil, 1,000, annum, years, literally just means a thousand year period. So you remember back, it's, now it's not just any millennium, we talk about we entered into a new millennium when we passed Y2K, remember all that? And it's, this is not that, this is not just any millennium, this is the millennium, okay? And so when we're talking about this millennium, it's interesting, what we're talking about is the time that Jesus Christ will return to earth, and he will literally reign from Jerusalem on planet earth for 1,000 years, okay? And that's literally what we're talking about. Now, it's interesting because the Bible doesn't actually use the word millennium, okay? Because that's a Latin root word. The Bible wasn't written in Latin, okay? And so really when the Bible talks about this period, it uses the word kingdom. And it talks about the kingdom is going to last a thousand years. And probably no place is it clearer than that than in Revelation chapter 20, where it says it's going to go for a thousand years over and over and over again. It repeats that in Revelation chapter 20. So the Bible's talking about a kingdom. We commonly refer to it as a millennium. There's other words, by the way, that we use. Don't let that freak you out. Uh, we, you know, we talk about the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in your Bible. We talk about the rapture. The word rapture is not in your Bible. Those principles are in your Bible, okay? They just have different words that we use, but we use words that we're familiar with. And so as we enter into this study, today we're going to begin by just talking about how we can prepare ourselves now for that coming kingdom, for that coming millennium. And that's the title that I've given to today's message, Preparation for the Millennium. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, please do open them and turn to Luke chapter 19. This is really going to be a good series. This is going to be a good time of talking about Uh, Things that are very appropriate for where we're at right now. Again, we're coming off the heels of our missions conference. And so really the millennium is God's fulfillment of that mission, right? After the people who will receive him would have received him, then he returns to earth and establishes his kingdom. So coming off the heels of missions, it's cool to talk about the millennium. Certainly the millennium is one subject that ought to make all of us 
very thankful, right, as we head towards Thanksgiving. Uh, so November is going to be about the millennium, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about as we go forward with this. Um, the context for where we're going, and we're going to jump in in verse number 12 for our study today, but I just want to give you some context. And so without necessarily reading all the verses, in verses 1 through 10, what we have is the story of Zacchaeus. And a lot of you, ever since Sunday school when you were little, you know the story of Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus is the guy, he was the chief publican. That means he was like the boss of all the tax collectors and he was greatly hated because those guys were corrupt and they stole money from people left and right. And he was the chief among those guys and he had grifted and stolen so much money from so many people and and he heard that Jesus was in town and he wanted to see Jesus. And of course the kids all know the story how Zacchaeus was a short guy and the crowd was around him and he couldn't see him. He climbed up in the tree and Jesus saw him and said, hey, come on down, I'm gonna have dinner at your house and that sort of thing. And Jesus spends time with Zacchaeus and all the other Pharisees around are like, hey, uh, what is this Jesus hanging out with people who are sinners? Now we understand we're all sinners, but back in the days when the scriptures were written, people who were called sinners were people who were considered to be extremely sinful, okay? And Zacchaeus would have been in that category. And they're shocked that Jesus Christ is spending time with a guy like this. But at the end of the day, Zacchaeus really repents. And he repents and he says, man, if I've stolen anything, I'm going to repay it fourfold. That's an awesome commitment. And, and, and they said, wow, this is so awesome. Salvation has come to this house. And, and he says, look, I'm going I'm to give half of my goods and give it to the poor. I mean, Zacchaeus has had a radical life change. And probably the verse that sticks out in our minds a lot of times is verse number 10, where it really gives us the reason for Jesus Christ coming to this earth. It said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we see that, I mean, that's, that's his mission. That's our mission, to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what he did. But it's interesting because if you just look in verse number nine, Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Now the disciples are just kind of around, you know, they're just checking it out and, and they're thinking, wow, that's significant because in verse number 11, and as they, the disciples, heard these things, and I think it's most specifically what they heard in verse number nine. Salvation has come to the house of a great sinner because he's a son of Abraham. And it says, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, Jesus did, because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they, the disciples, thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So they understood the issue of this kingdom. They understood that ultimately Israel was going to be the head of all nations and the Messiah was going to come and he was going to establish the the dominance of Israel and they were going to rule on this earth. And they expected that to happen immediately. Wow, if guys like Zacchaeus are getting saved and and if the references to the sons of Abraham, the Jewish nation, and if that could, man, this could be right now. This could all happen immediately. And we'll see before we're done today some of us sometimes feel like that, don't we? Don't, don't we sometimes feel like, wow, the Lord could appear any day now. I mean, he really could. We've got to be in the last days. Well, we'll get to that in due time. That's kind of what is going on here. That's the context. That's the setup for this parable. Jesus Christ that gives this parable that we're going to look at to explain to these disciples, to illustrate to them the thing that he wants them to understand. Okay, And the whole idea is is that because they thought 
that the kingdom of God, which in weeks past we have taken time, we're not going to do it today, the Bible clearly defines that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, okay? That it comes not with observation, it's not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We've seen all those things. Because God is a spirit. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, okay? But it says that they thought that the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, would immediately appear, become physical. That it would become the spiritual kingdom becomes now a literal physical kingdom. That's what they were expecting. And that's what the millennium is. That's the definition for the millennium that I put in your notes. It's when the spiritual kingdom of God becomes a physical kingdom on earth. That's what they expected. By the way, that's what a lot of us expect. Uh, This year marks 30 years that I've been saved, and I'm so thankful for that, but 30 years ago, I believed that the kingdom of God could immediately appear. I still believe that. Now, it may or it may not in my lifetime. I don't know, but I believe that it could. So Jesus gives us this parable, and with that in mind, please just follow along. I'm going to read from verse number 12 down to verse number 26. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath, shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. And this is the story that we see. And it's really not that hard to understand. If you look back at verse number 12, these parables are stories, but they literally describe a lesson that God wants to teach us. And so we have this cast of characters. In verse number 12, we see the nobleman. And the nobleman represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Because to be noble is to be nobility, that's royalty. Jesus Christ is a king, okay? So the nobleman, that's Jesus Christ. He's going to go into a far country, that's heaven. After his death, burial, and resurrection, he ascends and goes to heaven, and when he is there, he is going to receive for himself a kingdom. That would be the spiritual kingdom of God. You understand today that every single one of us, when each one of us who have bowed our knees and repented of our sins and received the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that we then one by one individually grow God's spiritual kingdom. 
While Jesus Christ is in heaven, we are growing this kingdom every time somebody new receives him as Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you have not yet done that, you can do that today. It's awesome, and you can be a part of this wonderful spiritual growth. And then it says that he will return, which is Jesus' second coming. Of course, Jesus Christ promises that he will return again. And so here's the nobleman. He goes to a far country. He is currently receiving his kingdom, all of us that are being saved. And then he's going to return. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to make that spiritual kingdom appear. It's going to be physical. It's going to be on planet Earth. In verse 13, he has 10 servants. And he gives 10 pounds. But we're going to see very briefly uh, that 10 most frequently in the scriptures represents the number of the Gentiles. And, and, and a pound is English money. It's British money, right? In other words, there's another parable that's similar to this in Matthew 25, and you may be familiar with the parable of the talents. And the talent is a form of money as well. But in this particular parable, there's 10 servants and there's 10 pounds. And he's trying to emphasize to us that this is written for Gentiles, okay? That's important. If you didn't already know, so for example, if you go in the, in the book of Genesis and you find the character Noah, Noah is the father of all the Gentiles, and Noah is the 10th generation from Adam. We get the genealogy of Noah, not surprisingly, in Genesis chapter number 10. And in Genesis chapter number 10 and verse number 10, we see the first earthly kingdom that's recorded in the scriptures, which is called Babel. And Babel is run by a Gentile who comes from the lineage of Ham, whose name is Nimrod. You jump to the New Testament and you see Peter in Acts chapter 10, not surprisingly, taking the gospel to Gentiles for the first time as the sheet comes down and don't call that which is clean unclean and all that sort of a thing. And then in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 12, interestingly enough, just a little side note, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 12, because 10 is the number of the Gentiles and 12 is the number of Israel, that there is no difference between the Jews and the Greeks. In Romans 10, 12. 10 is without question a number referring to Gentile nations. And so this is a, a, a message that we need to understand as the Gentile bride of Christ. Verse 14 says, His citizens, that's us, y'all, the citizens of the spiritual kingdom of heaven, the primarily Gentile body and bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. At verse 15, it talks about he's going, to, he's going to return. And certainly we understand that he's going to return, but verse 15, more than anything else, talks about how when he does return, then there will be then that day of reckoning, the day of giving account, the day that he calls each of us into account for what it is we have done in the meantime while he has been away. And what we see through the story is some are faithful and some are not. Okay, and so that's what we're going to be walking through as we do this. Let's just take a second and ask God to clear our minds, and we'll continue on. Lord Jesus, please, I pray that you would take this parable, take your word, teach us, help us to see and to understand some of the characteristics of this kingdom and what we need to do to prepare ourselves to be a part of it. Lord, coming off the heels of our missions conference, I know you've worked in the hearts of so many, me for sure, and that you have placed on our hearts a burden to surrender our lives to you in some way. And I pray that this day would be a day for you just to reinforce in our hearts literally how and why we need to live out our commitments to you daily. I pray that you would take this. I pray that you would teach us. And I pray that you'd be pleased in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, the first thing that we need to do in order to prepare ourselves for this coming millennial kingdom uh, is what I'm calling on-the-job training. 
on-the-job training. Now, similar to the disciples, like I said before, we really, I do anyway, believe that we are in the last days, uh, that this, this time of the church is drawing to an end, that the time of the setting up of the Antichrist and the tribulation that the Bible talks about can be very, very near. It's very likely that it'll happen in our lifetime before we draw our last breath physically. We don't know that for sure, of course, but it is very possible that that's the case. We understand that the kingdom of God could suddenly appear in our lifetime. So, Understanding that, we understand that we're not all that different from the disciples, but what we do understand from this story is that we can't just sit around and wait for it. We can't just lock ourselves in and buy a bunch of food and ammunition and hide out in a bunker just waiting for it to show up. We've got to be busy about the Lord's business, and literally this parable is written to remind us that we are to be busy doing something while we wait for him to return and to establish his kingdom. And what we're going to see is, is that what we do will directly affect our role in that kingdom. Should I say that again? What we do now in the body of Christ will directly affect our role in Christ's 1,000-year kingdom. So what should we be doing right now? And that's your blank in your notes, and, and the word is reproduce. Reproduce. In other words, it's, it's used in its very general sense of increase or to make more. If you look from verses 16 to 19, again, we have these things where the guy has one pound, he gets 10, another guy has a pound, and he gets five, okay, and, and he's praised for that, okay? And so what he says to them to do in the parable, back to verse 13, he called his 10 servants and delivered to them 10 pounds and said to them, and this is an unusual statement, occupy until I come. Occupy. Now, i got to help you just understand occupy. I know that in this Bible there's some older English and some phraseology that we don't always use that way today. When, when you think of occupy, you might think of, I'm occupying the seat that I'm sitting in. I, I'm taking up space. I'm, I am occupying this seat. That's not the way the word is used. Okay, the word occupy literally in the context is like the word occupation. It's having a job, okay? It's doing something. It's having a task that you need to do. And what he's saying is, he's saying, occupy, be busy about your occupation, the thing that I've asked you to do. In fact, the exact same Greek root word that is translated occupy in verse 13 is translated in verse 15 as gained by trading. He came to take an account to see how much his servants have gained by trading. In other words, it's a, it's a business analogy. It's like you're starting up a business and you want to see if you can make a profit. Can you turn a profit? Can you cause increase? Reproduction. Multiplication. That's what we're looking at. And so what we see then is, is that some people will have a greater return and some people will have not so great of a return and there can be a lot of reasons for that it's not a lot unlike Matthew chapter 13 where it talks about the parable of the sower and when the seed finally falls in the good soil it said that it gave off some 30-fold fruit some 60-fold and some 100-fold right and so there's different levels of fruit bearing but at the end of the day good fruit good seed and good soil will produce multiplied fruit and so in this parable, it happens to be one pound turns into ten, or one pound turns into five, and in either case, they're both praised for their situation. So our job now in the body of Christ is to increase the resources that are left in our charge. 
It's to reproduce. It's to multiply. It's to increase the resources that are left in our charge. Now, literally, a pound is money, and we have talked enough lately about money. And, and rest assured, it's not the subject today. How about that? All right? All right, so we're not talking about your money, okay? And that's all fine because being faithful in these very little things like our finances, it is a very important first step, but it truly is only a first step. If you can't get victory in those first steps, it's gonna be very difficult for you to have victory in the later steps in your life. And really what I want us to see today is there's some much greater resources that have been given to us that he wants us to multiply. How about we just start very simply and say the greatest gift we've ever received from Jesus Christ is eternal life. Amen? And how about we take that eternal life and we figure out a way how we can multiply that into the lives of many other people. In other words, we take God's word and we share it with others so that many others come to faith in the Lord Jesus and they get eternal life and the life that God invested in us then is multiplied into the life of many others. That's the context, right? Verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. Take what I've given you and multiply that. The other thing I want you to understand is not just this eternal life gift of sharing your, your faith with others, but, but literally it is the fa- your faith is a gift. And so what I'm calling it the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus. And I want to emphasize that preposition of. It's not faith in Jesus. It's the faith of Jesus. And maybe you've never seen this in the scripture before, so I've gave you some references in your notes. Galatians chapter two and verse number 16, notice this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So it's not our good works that gets us to heaven, right? So how is it? But by the faith of, not in, Jesus Christ. Then it goes on, to be fair, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, comma, that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus. Christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified keep that thought in mind Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 if anybody has gone through our discipleship process here you ought to be able to quote Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves that faith that you have is actually not of yourselves it's a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast And so, literally, that faith is a gift. It's the faith of Jesus Christ that's imparted to you. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God that's loved me and gave himself for me. Are you seeing this pattern? Do you see how Jesus Christ has imparted to you his faith? And yes, you exercise faith in him. But this Faith is a gift, and we are to live by faith. We are to walk by faith. We are to share our faith. We are to multiply, reproduce our faith. Galatians, I'm sorry, Jude, the little book of Jude that comes right before the book of Revelation. It's only got one chapter, verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, notice, which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith that you have was delivered unto you. Do you understand that? And what we can do is be about the Father's business. We can be delivering it to others. Now they have to decide to receive it. They have to decide to act on it. No doubt about it. But that's our occupation. That's what we are to be occupied with. Multiplication in the lives of many others. That's what ought to consume our interests, our time, our resources, our energy. And so... 
in your notes, by doing our job of reproduction in God's spiritual kingdom now, we prepare ourselves for our next job in the physical 1,000-year kingdom on earth. That's today's message. How do we prepare ourselves? This, this point, on-the-job training. As we train, as we prepare, doing the job we've been given to do now, we prepare ourselves for the job he will have us to do in a 1,000-year kingdom. Y'all, if you don't believe the Bible literally as it is given to you, you will never get this. But God gave it to us the way he gave it to us on purpose. The job that we will be doing in the kingdom, B, reign. Our job now is to reproduce. Our job then, rule and reign with Jesus Christ, right? He, he does the deal, one pound becomes 10. Great, reign over 10 cities. One pound becomes five. Awesome. Reign over five cities. And so that's part of our job. That's what we're going to do. You've got to understand that this physical kingdom on earth, it's a theocracy. Theocracy means a government run by God, Jesus Christ. We could say it's a monarchy. It's a kingdom. Jesus Christ is the king. He literally returns to this earth in a physical yet glorified body and he sits on the throne of David in the temple of Jerusalem and rules planet earth and he will have us his body his bride the church that will go through the rapture and have glorified bodies and will have positions official positions in his monarchy in his governmental structure and each of us will then have some responsibility to rule and reign over some portion of this earth. Somebody's getting New Philly. Somebody's getting something else. Somebody's getting, and and it's going to be directly proportional to the amount God would have tested you to be faithful in caring for. Y'all, this whole life that we're living right now, seriously, it's it's important, but it's not that important, (laughs) circumstantially speaking. Because all of our life is just a test. It's just a test. God wants to see, will you trust me now? Because as much as you prove that I can trust you, the Lord might say, okay, now I know how much I can give you in the kingdom. But if you can't be proven as trustworthy in some very simple little things, we talk about money, that's the very simplest little thing. And then begin to have responsibility and really shepherding and caring for others. If you can't prove that you're trustworthy now, why in the world would he give you a job? We do that in our businesses. We do that in our home responsibility. If somebody can't be trustworthy, you don't give them some great responsibility, right? And that's all he's doing. That's all he's teaching us in this story. So our job now is to increase the resources that's left in our charge. Our job then is a government leadership position. And literally, that's what he says he's going to do. And it is proportionate to the amount of your faith. It's proportionate. And we could take some time, and we looked in Revelation 20 briefly, I referred to it, how we will reign with him for a thousand years. And the Bible says over and over again, there's another place in Revelation chapter 5 where it talks about how the church is going to reign with him. Okay, this is very clear doctrine of the Scriptures. But I want you to understand something. I want you to look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, because this reigning with Christ, I think, is far too misunderstood. We all think it's just automatic. I receive Christ, I have the ticket, you know, to get out of hell free, and, and I'm ready to go, and I'm going to rule and reign with him just because. And, and it just doesn't work that way, y'all. It just doesn't. 
And so 2 Timothy 2, verse 11, it is a faithful saying. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. In other words, if you have surrendered your life totally to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that means you have eternal life. If you have died with him, you are saved. Okay? Verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. It's conditional. If you suffer, you'll reign. The corollary, if you don't, you won't. Because the guy who's going to occupy, the guy who's going to work, the guy who's going to make a profit, the guy who's going to increase the resources is going to have to work at it. We're going to look at it in some detail, and it's hard work, and it's going to require sacrifice, and it's going to require surrender, and as a result, you'll suffer some. You'll suffer some now in order to do what the master asked you to do. But if you do, he has a promise for you. You'll reign with him. You'll reign with him. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Because if you're going to live your life obedient to Christ, it's going to be tough. It's just not that easy. In fact, you could look at it this way. In order for you to reign with him for a thousand years, by the way, we're not talking about forever. We're talking about for 1,000 years. This month is all about describing this 1,000-year period. Uh, we're going to live forever. Amen? Uh, this is just the next thousand. Okay? And so for this next thousand, we're going to be reigning with him. The only way you qualify to reign with him in the kingdom is if you will have willingly allowed him to reign over you now. Do you see that? If you don't allow him to reign over you now, you're not going to reign with him in the kingdom. I'm not saying you're not going to make it. Okay, if you went back to 2 Timothy 2, if we deny him, he also will deny us. The context is rewards. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Your salvation is secure. Your rewards are not. Okay? Here's the Bible principle, and y'all really got to get this Bible principle. Okay? You cannot be a leader if you first don't learn how to follow. You got to get that. Uh, everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants to be a chief. Nobody wants to be an Indian, right? Uh, everybody wants to say, hey, this is the way it ought to be run. This is the way things ought to be. Everybody's got great ideas about what everybody else ought to do. And God has a principle all through his scripture, and it's maybe not described any clearer than it is right here. Until you learn to follow, why should, we, why should anybody let you lead? And that's exactly what he's trying to communicate here. You follow Christ today and and you'll be in charge of some stuff for a time period by the way that's going to last a little bit longer than our life here on earth a little bit like 10 to 20 times longer so that's what it's all about verse 14 notice that it says but his citizens hated him sent a message after him saying we will not have this man to reign over us do you see that principle so if you refuse to allow him to reign over your life here and now, then you're not going to have any rewards when you get to the kingdom. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you won't have any rewards when you get there. Okay? And so if we look back in verses 20 to 26, that's that story of the man who said, look, I didn't invest your money at all. I just hid it in a napkin, and here it is. And he's like, man, you could have done better if you just went to the bank. I mean, the bank gave you a little bit of interest, right? I mean, you, that word... To, to have taken mine with usury. Perfect word for the word. We call it interest. Usury is a perfect word because the bank uses your money to make more. 
And they give you a little bit. They get a lot. And Jesus is like, look, I could have at least got a little. You didn't even do that. And so he calls him a wicked servant. It's very interesting. And so what he was given, even the one that he was given, at the end of the story, is taken away from him. And they give it to the guy who had 10. And they're like, wow, he's already got 10. Now he's got 11. He said, yeah, absolutely. What he already was given had been taken away. The way we phrase that in common lingo today is use it or lose it. Use it or lose it, man. That's what he's telling us. You use what I've given to you or you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. And again, you're not losing your salvation. You're losing rewards. The little book of 2 John, the little letter near the end of your Bible, 2 John, one chapter, verse number eight. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. It's all about rewards. And in the world of rewards before the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to understand something. There may have been a time of faithfulness in your past where for a period of time you loved the Lord and you were sacrificing and you were serving and you absolutely would have earned real, eternal rewards. The things that you have wrought. But be careful. Be careful you don't lose them. Because if you don't continue following, you don't continue surrendering, you don't continue doing the things that he wants you to do, when you get to the end, even the things that you have already done 3, 5, 10, 12, 15 years ago, they're going to be gone. And he's warning us. He's warning us. Don't you realize that? Use it or lose it. Back in verse number 14, it's a, it's a scary little verse. It says, but his citizens hated him. You realize that if you call yourself a Christian here today and you, you know that you've surrendered your heart to him in salvation and yet, for whatever reason, God's word keeps being preached from this pulpit and God's word is screaming out to you as you read it and circumstances of life are closing in around you and God is telling you, do this, man. Surrender to me. Give that thing up. Get rid of that sinful behavior that only me and you know about. Hey, go do this thing that I've asked you to do finally for a hundred times. Finally go do it. And he's trying to get your attention. And you say, I will not have this man to reign over me. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And you just tough. And we never say that out loud to the Lord Jesus, but by our actions of refusing to serve and to sacrifice and to obey and to be a part, we are literally saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not going to be my Lord. You are not going to reign over me. And Jesus says, you hate me, don't you? And we think, of course not. I love you. Really? Maybe that's why in another place he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I ask? If you refuse to let Jesus Christ rule your life, if God's word specifically and clearly tells you to do something and you say, no, I won't do it, what's the first thing you should do after you've been saved? First step of obedience, getting baptized in water. Have you never done that? Clearly he says do it. You say, I will not. You hate Jesus. That's what he said. What about giving financially? What about serving where you can serve? What about talking to your neighbors? What about any of the lists of things saying no to sin, living a holy life? I will not submit to that. Wow. And so he says, hey, well, how might you actually do that? Well, I just pulled a couple of things out just to give you a quick thought. 
Luke 16, 13, we talked about money a little bit, just, just for a, it, literally the word is used. Luke 16 talks about money. It says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, money. And so money would be one example. If you are tight-fisted, and we talked about this this week, if you're tight-fisted with your money, then you, you love it, and therefore hate God, who has, by the way, given you the privilege of having it, and you won't share it. Uh, another place that's very clear, Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, it says, because the carnal mind is enmity, or the enemy, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So uh, having a carnal mind, fleshly, selfish thoughts and desires, decision-making process based on me first, that puts you in direct opposition of hatred against the Spirit of God as he's trying to lead you in your life. So our surrendered service to the Lord now is just simply a test. It's, it's, it's on-the-job training. That's what it is. It, we're, just, we're just in training. And, and based on how we carry out our job of our occupation, to occupy until he come, we're being trained for our next job in that 1,000-year kingdom. Now the next thing we're going to look at as we go on is what I'm calling pay me now or pay me later. Um, there used to be a commercial that used that phrase. You can pay me now or pay me later. Talking about auto maintenance and that sort of thing. You don't keep up with some of the maintenance costs. Eventually it's going to cost you even more. So you might as well, you might as well pay for it now. It's cheaper. And, and really that's kind of what we're talking about here. Now again, don't misunderstand me. Very clearly in the scripture, uh, your eternal salvation is a free gift. We saw that already. It's not of works. There's nothing that you can do to pay for it. You couldn't possibly pay for it if you thought you wanted to. It's absolutely impossible. And by the way, you can't repay God for what he gave to you freely as a free gift of salvation. That's a gift that is so great, anything that you could even imagine doing for him couldn't even possibly come close to paying for that. Salvation, without a doubt, is a free gift, but rewards are earned. You earn rewards. If you don't work for it, you don't get it, and that's exactly what it's about. So God's grace, literally the word grace may be uh, 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 just defined as a gift, just a free gift to somebody who doesn't deserve it. I'm going to do something nice for you just because I want to. You didn't do anything for it. I just love you, and I just want to give it to you. That's God's grace. And so God gives us salvation by grace through faith. But here's what happens. We Christians, we sow love God's grace. Amen? I do. It's awesome. Thank God for his grace. I don't want his justice. I want his grace and mercy, right? But I think sometimes we abuse God's grace. I, I think we take the grace thing so far that all we're doing is we're feeding our own fleshly, selfish desires and pawning it off on God's grace. Oh, God's gracious. Oh, God. And he is. He's all of that, without a doubt. But we think that God is all grace and God is all love. Therefore, I never have to serve. I never have to sacrifice. I never have to surrender. I never have to give. I never have to go. I never have to do anything. God just loves me. Of course he loves you. And he loves you enough to allow you to be selfish. But do not think that you can just hide in a crowd and, and, and skate around everybody's pleas, impassioned pleas to, to get in the game and get involved with us. 
and then just think it's just all going to be fine, and in the millennium we're all the same, and we all rule the same, and we all look the same, and we all have the same glory, and we all have the same, everything. It doesn't work that way, y'all. It just doesn't work that way. Because God will level the playing field. You're going to pay me now, or you're going to pay me later. It's not all going to be the same. Now, in eternity, that's a whole different story. Okay, After the millennium, that's a whole different story. But for people who have received the free gift of eternal life, that he took your feet off those fiery coals of hell and gave you the free gift of eternal life, and for you to say, thanks, appreciate it, living for me now. There's coming a time. There's coming a time where that score is going to be leveled. You can't imagine that the carnal, self-absorbed Christian and the God-fearing, sacrificial Christian both die and go to heaven and are exactly identical for this thousand years. That's ridiculous. And God makes it clear that it's ridiculous by this parable. So, I wrote it this way. Once in the millennium, your social status is set for 1,000 years. And notice this, the results of your faithfulness while you were here on earth is on full display. You know what? First area would be in the area of responsibility. You're ruling over 10 cities. Somebody else is ruling over five cities. Somebody else is ruling over one city. Somebody else isn't ruling over nothing, and he's picking up garbage on the street. Your social status is set for 1,000 years. And by the way, you know what? Everybody knows who the mayor is. Everybody knows who's in charge of this province. Everybody knows who's in charge of this county and this state. Everybody knows who that is, right? They're going to know in the millennium. Yeah, you'll be there. You'll be there in a glorified body, but based on your job description, based on what you're doing, it'll be obvious to everybody the level of sacrifice that you poured in after your salvation. The other area is the area of raiment. A few weeks ago we talked about this and how the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 19 that the the righteousness of the saints are like fine white linen that clothe the bride of Christ at his second coming and establishing of that kingdom. And, and, And not everybody's going to be clothed the same way. The more robes, the more righteousness, the more earned rewards as a result of your suffering and sacrifice. And maybe the place that describes it best is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you look there quickly, starting in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Notice, conditional. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. How exactly does that all play out? I'm not sure I can tell you. I know this, that there are earned rewards. They're going to roll into levels of governmental responsibility and a job to do. I guarantee you this, there are earned righteousness that roll into some sort of a display, physical display of clothing and glory, somehow, that it'll be obvious that some people got flowing robes and other people, you know, are wearing a Speedo. I don't know. (laughs) And that's never a good thing. Can I say that's never a good thing? You don't want to be one of those. And just think. Let's just use our, sorry, sorry now that it's out. Let's just use that illustration. Try not to let your mind go there too much. If that's you, 
you know, if your if you're minimal clothing requirement in the millennium, if that's what you end up with because of your selfishness here and now, that ain't changing for a thousand years. And everybody that walks by you and sees you will immediately know. He didn't care nothing about serving the Lord. He received him and lived for himself. And you'll bear that. By the way, you'll suffer for that. That's suffering. And it's going to last a thousand years, not just 20, not just 30, not just 40. It's going to last a long time. Listen, let me remind you. The world has got no use for Jesus Christ. You're going to stand for Jesus Christ, the world got no use for you. They hated Jesus, they're going to hate you if you stand for him, right? John 15 makes that really clear. Jesus says to his disciples in verses 18 to 21, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So what is pay me now all about? Pay me now is to bear his shame and reproach while serving him before he returns. That's how you can pay up now. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. Please be aware of Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Outside the gates of Jerusalem on the hill, of Golgotha, he died on the cross for us. Literally what he's talking about. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, notice, bearing his reproach. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and for my sin, and literally he, he took upon himself our shame, our reproach, and he died willingly in our place. And he offers to us the free gift of eternal life and thank God for that. But he does ask us as his servants, as his children, to now take his shame and his reproach and carry it out to a world. Willingly, let us therefore go out without the camp, without the camp of our little uh, favorite, comfortable little Christian club we call church. And let's go out into a world and bear his reproach. That's what he wants us to do. And if you'll do that now, what you do is you purchase your acceptance with Christ. Again, not eternal salvation, but rewards to be accepted when you stand before him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There's your context. Wherefore, we labor, occupy, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to, he that, to, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So what about those people that won't rule over anything in the millennium for a thousand years? Can you imagine? Can, can, you, can you just imagine that that guy, that lady who just refused to do anything for the Lord now is just, like I said, maybe scantily dressed, maybe no responsibility whatsoever. I'm sure somebody's got to sweep the streets of gold. I don't know. 
But they had a chance. And basically they're just declaring, I didn't care. And for a thousand years, you're on full display. You know what? That's paying me later. (laughs) Pay me later? Bear his shame and reproach by your lack of rewards for a thousand years. You can pay me now, or you can pay me later. I bore your shame and reproach. I died on the cross of Calvary. I gave you the free gift of eternal life. You received it freely, and I'm so glad you did. But you're going to be a part of this kingdom. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to be a part. And I'm going to tell you something. It's the only way that it makes any sense, and it's literally what he says. You think you're going to live your life, you think you're just going to sign off and pray some prayer, whether it's at a youth camp or a Sunday school class or in a church or in your home with your mother or your father. You think you're just going to pray some prayer and get your fire insurance and go live your life for yourself. You think you're going to skate through this life and get to the point where some of us give everything we've got, blood, sweat, and tears, in order to get the gospel around this world, many people of which have given their lives and died as martyrs so that you could be here today. You think that you're going to get to heaven and just be fine like everybody else? Really? Well, not for a thousand years, because the next millennium, it's just, it's just the next dispensation. We'll talk about that next week and the week after. It's just the next time period. It's not eternity. It's not heaven. It's just the kingdom on earth for a thousand years. It is the great leveler of the playing field. You want to be selfish today? Go for it. You're going to pay for a thousand years. Me, I'm just smarter than that. I'll go for it now. Because 10, 20, 30, 40 years is nothing, man. I got a thousand in front of me and then eternity after that. I'm going to tell you what, at the end of the thousand, when it's all said and done and you've put your broom away and your speedo's done and you go on to your thing, when that's all done, then we're fine. Then we're the same. Then we're like Christ. Then we go off in eternity and do whatever the cool stuff he he has for us. But until that thousand years is over, it ain't done. It ain't done. And what you do today will, listen, friends, you've been warned. He's warning them. They thought the kingdom was going to directly appear. And Jesus said, hey, hang on, hang on. It's not back yet. You got some work to do, friends. Don't worry about how soon it'll appear. It'll appear, and I'll take an account. But in the meantime, you got some work to do. Occupy until I come. Occupy. That's what he says. Listen, once you stand before his full glory, it's in your notes. And if that's your case where you didn't do anything for him, you'll be ashamed that you live for yourself and not for him. You'll be ashamed. Maybe you don't know enough to be ashamed now. You will. You will. God is righteous. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, there's your context, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Okay, if you abide in him, you won't be ashamed. Obviously, if you don't abide, you will be ashamed. 1 Corinthians 3, several verses, familiar to many of you. Start in verse 9. For we, church, are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, the day, the 1,000-year millennial day. A day with the Lord is a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years is as a day. For the day shall be 
declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Is he going to hell? No. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. No responsibility. No righteousness. The world at this time stands in direct opposition to God's soon coming kingdom. And you get to pick. You're going to pay the piper. You pay me now, or you pay me later. Now's a lot shorter. It's just the smart thing to do. It's just wise investing. It just is. And he gives this parable to teach us how to prepare ourselves for the coming 1,000-year millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. We referred to Luke 16 a while back and it talked about money and mammon and all that. And that In Luke 16 is, is where it says, hey, he that's faithful in little will be faithful in much. And literally the context was mammon. If you're faithful in the unrighteous mammon, then you could prove yourself to be faithful in the true riches, the spiritual life, okay? That's really what he's talking about. So yeah, money, okay, it's a start. And yeah, we're asking you to respond, for example, in our Faith Promise Missions budget. If you feel like God has led you, please fill that out, and please turn that in the plate, and please participate. But at the end of the day, God doesn't need your money, and I don't need it either. It's about you. It's a test. God is just saying, how much do you love me? Will you trust me? Will you take the first step? But turn back a few pages from Luke 19 to Luke chapter 12. And a few weeks ago, I taught you out of Luke chapter 12 in verses 13 to 34 when we talked about how God will provide. And that was an awesome reminder about God's provision and how he promises to take care of his children. But I want to look at the last, or a little further down in that chapter, starting in verse number 41. And this is another parable with a similar message. So with all these things in our mind that we just went through, let's just read together Luke 12, 41 to 48. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, he will make him ruler over all that he hath. Do you see the parallel? Do you see the exact same story in this parable as well? Verse 45, but, contrast. But, and if, that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given of him, shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. 
So who's that faithful and wise steward? Whoever it is will be made a ruler over God's household. And whoever it is is going to be the guy that when the Lord returns, he will find you so doing the occupation that he's called you to do. Or maybe you're the guy that said, hey, there was a time I used to do that, but now you just badmouth other Christians. You badmouth Christ's ministry. You're all about eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, you're, you're drunken. You're running around with the wrong crowd. You're not involved. You're disengaged. And he's like, really? You knew my will, and you did that? Okay, I can handle that too. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. Listen, y'all. 2013, the United States of America, to whom much is given, much will be required. We've been given much. Celebrating Veterans Day, look, we're we're a free nation, y'all. We have the freedom to do what we're doing this morning. We are a wealthy people, the most wealthy in the whole world. We have been given great knowledge. Listen, y'all in this church, you know some stuff, man. God's given you good Bible teaching for decades and decades here. You know what's right. You have opportunities to go anywhere and to do whatever. Much has been given. You're not skating away like some poor Cambodian that barely heard the gospel once in their life. You're not getting away with that. And the key verse, verse number 47, the servant which knew his Lord's will tie it back into our message today, and didn't prepare himself, (laughs) he'll be beaten with many stripes. I hope that's none of us. But you know what? Seriously, this thing just screams out to me. And whether it's on the heels of what we just experienced this last week and talking about world evangelism, whether it's God has whispered into your heart through these last several days about a commitment to serve him in a greater capacity. Maybe you're just going to start giving for the first time. Maybe you surrendered your heart to him to to potentially leave this country and go serve someplace else in the future. I don't know. Whatever it might be. Maybe he just spoke to you about getting rid of sin in your life. Maybe he's just said, hey, you need to get serious about studying the Bible and get discipled. I don't know what it is, but whatever God might have been working and doing in your heart lately, Let today's message be a reminder to you that it has to absolutely continue day after day and become a habitual part of your regular life because you don't know when he's coming back. And you don't want to be the guy that when he comes back, he finds you loafing. He says, just keep it going. You got to keep it going. You got to keep it going. Otherwise, there's the fear that the things that you have wrought in the past might be lost. They might be lost. We've been warned. We've been warned, and we understand it. We've been given much, and now it's just our turn to respond. Let's pray together.